Hello you awesome beings, welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known. This podcast is a love letter to my younger self of all the things I wish I'd known before I had deep issues with my mental health and my spiritual awakening. I hope you enjoy listening. Why not head to my website and purchase the new Live From Lockdown, seven guided meditations and gong meditations for your listening pleasure. Use the code TIWIK15, T-I-W-I-K-15 to get 15% off now. Hello and welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known with your host, Rachel, the founder of Wellford Wellbeing. Today I'm talking to Alexandra Roxo, someone I've followed for quite a long time on social media and I'm a big fan of her work. She does a lot of discussion around where the sensual becomes a mystical. She is an author, a speaker, a creative and a mentor, and she's the founder of Radical Awakenings, which is a virtual membership where they run a variety of different rituals, and it's really about getting you to return back to the sacred and to be a fully expressed version of yourself, which is something, if you listen to this podcast or follow me, you know that I'm very up for. And she's got a new book coming out, which has got one of the best titles I think I've heard in a really long time, Fuck Like a Goddess. So welcome, Alexandra. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. You're welcome. So tell everyone a little bit about your journey, because it's pretty fascinating of how you kind of came to be this this public figure, this author, speaker, creative, and really, I don't know if this is how you see your work, but I very much see it as this kind of empowerment of women, but also men, and around sexuality and, and how that came to be. Yeah. So I grew up in the United States in the state of Georgia and Georgia is in the South. So in the U S like the South is known for being very conservative, very Christian. And so I grew up in the South, but my dad was from Brazil is from Brazil and he would take me to Brazil every summer. And I spent a lot of time in Brazil and so I kind of had this this confluence and this intersection of two very different cultures in my youth. So I had this very sensual Brazilian like focus on like the 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 female body in Brazil. It's not only celebrated, it's also commodified and sexualized at times, but there is this kind of there's less kind of cultural shame because Catholicism was very different than like Puritanism. So there is, there's nothing very Puritanical about Brazilians. (laughs) (laughs) So I had that, like that side of me that was fostered through being in Brazil, which is like the women in my family were really all about like being in your body. There wasn't shame. They'd like look down my shirt and be like, how are your breasts growing? You know, like that wasn't a big deal. They're just, they're, they're parts of the body, you know, but like, but I had this also puritanical side of me because I was growing up in a Christian South. So like, that was like unheard of, like wearing a string bikini. Oh my God. You know, like there were certain things like, so from a young age, I was able to feel like, wow, when did we as humans become ashamed of ourselves? Like, when did we start denying and repressing are just human tendencies, you know, to dance, to play, to be naked, to be free, to celebrate. And from a young age, I was like, this feels out of whack that like, and especially for women that we're not allowed to be free and 
wild and have sexual desires to be sensual in our bodies are we're, we're supposed to be compressed or we're supposed to be thin we're supposed to not take up too much space we're supposed to be good we're supposed to be sweet and I was like, this just feels off. And I'm talking about the experience of a very Western, middle-class white woman. So that's where I come from. So it's very different if you grew up in an indigenous culture. It's very different if you grew up in a West African culture. Very different if you grew up in a, you know, Australian Maori tribe. So, but I'm talking about my experience, which is white woman growing up in Georgia. And that's the demographic that I, you know, was conditioned into, which was, be good, be quiet, be thin, be pretty, don't be too sexual, you know, don't talk about sex. Also, like God is a man and there's no room for like wild feminine freedom in a white church. There's no room for dancing. There's no room for the body. Sexuality is definitely checked at the door. You walk through those church doors, you are not a sexual being anymore. Like you cannot have a sexual desire, fantasy or anything. So that was where I was conditioned into, which was like, I look at it as like my soul's training ground that I chose in order to sort of move through that, like a little like, you know, snake shedding that skin. And so from a young age that put in the the mission for me of, hey, I think this is off. <laughs> I think yeah. that actually like women's bodies shouldn't be like, cut and like the millions of dollars spent on them to like look a certain way because a bunch of guys said that they should look a certain way and I actually think that like it's natural for us to have like rolls on our belly and to dance and be silly and roll around and kiss and have sexual desires and I not only think that that's okay and healthy but I actually think that that is a part of God, goddess, infinity and source because if God created everything, then mm -hmm. my desire to be spanked is a part of God, right? Like yeah. God didn't create, like we're saying this mythologically speaking right now. Yeah. If God didn't create, or if we say, oh, God is all powerful, well then how could God accidentally forget and be like, oh, how did, like, no, no, I created Oops, everything. I just created a whip. Except <laughs> Alexandra's desire to be, you know, like in a threesome or whatever. Mm. Like, oh, I didn't create that. She created that. Like, that's, it just seems really silly. So anyway, these kind of like, these internalized beliefs from like this kind of Western puritanical Christian mindset are the ones that I grew up into and that are still, I believe, ruling definitely like a, a lot of the people in the U.S., probably the U.K., and probably many other countries. However, I do think Latin America is very different. I do think that Mediterranean countries are very different. But globally on a whole, women are still spending an exorbitant amount of money trying to be pretty and thin and modify their bodies. So I'm and guessing, time, you know, like, yeah, and time thing, you know, just that thinking of like, I'm not good enough or I'm too fat or I'm too curvy or my boobs aren't big enough or they're too big or they're, you know, my butt's not big enough and then it's too big or there doesn't seem to be a, a time where you can just be at peace with yeah. who you are and how you look. And right. I think that's really, I don't know, I find it really interesting between like, I'd love to know your kind of thinking on this as well, like how along my journey when I start to unpick things and I've got a hell of a lot of stuff to do around sex, like 
I've got a lot of work that still needs to be done. Well, you grew up in the UK, it's understandable. And, you know, similar... Yeah, yeah, so I grew up in the UK and it's very, you know, stiff upper lip and blah, blah, blah. And it's interesting when you meet people from other cultures and other countries and other places and you're like, whoa, hang on a second, what? You know, and you're all just naked together or whatever. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) hang on, what? And it's like so freeing. But I think there's so much shame actually that's inbuilt that we don't even with it's so integrated and inbuilt into society that we don't even recognize it as shame in ourselves yeah I I mean I don't know if that's been your oh my god yeah I mean most people it's not a question anymore it's just a part of how we live that our thighs should be thin and that like we don't discuss like how was your orgasm last night did you have a good orgasm this week like that those things are just we don't question why why do we not talk about that or why it's just already in assumed like as much as I could try to decondition myself I still live by these internalized beliefs like Mm. I do not discuss my sex life with my friends I still try to keep a tight ass you know I don't mean like a tight like (laughs) (laughs) my actual sphincter muscle (laughs) that's a different different practice can you do kegel practices like for your butt I don't know well I actually like I have a friend who like there's like a dilation kit that you can use if you are moving towards wanting to have anal sex so that you like you know kind of gradually So it's not such a shock. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. So you can always, can always so try it's like that. The oppo- it's like the opposite of what you might do for your vagina, isn't it? It's kind mm-hmm. of like you want that to be tight but you want the other one to be a little bit more relaxed. Yeah, well, by you you mean a penis wants that. Yeah, that's true. Right. Well, I don't know, though, because if you're willing to try it, then maybe you do want it as well. I hope. No, but I mean, a penis wants a tight vagina. Yeah, that's true. That's like but I don't know. I don't know. I kind of do the kegels, though, more for my <laughs> God, I don't know. Sorry, mum, if you're listening to this. But more for the thing of I don't want to wee myself when I'm old. You know, like, because if you do your, like, kegel muscles, it also keeps you. Do you think our grandmas peed themselves when they were old? Were they doing kegels? I don't know. I don't know. No. I can't ask mine. She's passed away. But I imagine if she knew about kegels, she was the kind of woman that would have done them. <laughs> she was quite sexy. And you can friend. also help your orgasm out with if your muscles have some, you know, agility down yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. But the gods are great about that. Great work with that. That's true. So how did you go from, you know, this young girl, you're living in Georgia, you're going to Brazil, you're seeing this whole other culture, you're thinking, well, hang on, there's a real disconnect between the two kind of lifestyles that I'm seeing that seem very polarized how I feel and what's expected of me from say like church and things that maybe I want to explore how did that all become to into Alexandra Roxo and all the courses and all the incredible things that you're doing in the books and helping helping others well, it, it started of me being an actor and a writer. And I'm a writer like and an artist first and foremost. So I consider like all of the work I do to be performative in a way. So whether I'm reading, leading a, a ritual or a workshop, like I'm embodying different aspects. And like sometimes I'm like, ah, scream, you know. So it's very much coming from my performer background. And I went to school for writing, directing, playwriting, photography, and always I was expressing these internal struggles. So 
I was creating art and writing around these themes. So my life has had like a thesis in a sense from the time that I was able to identify that, which was in college, which was just like the same thing I said before, like, hey, women are not allowed to be ourselves. We're not allowed to be a part of this sort of like internal religious or spiritual doctrines or leaders or leaders in any like major power positions and our sexualities, you know, so I was asking all these questions and then I just started making art about it, which is like, I think one of the best ways to communicate internal ideas, struggles, opinions. And so it's only in the last few years that the the way that I express myself has been a bit more in like a teaching and helping others capacity, because before it was in creating photography, experimental film, web shows, movie, documentaries. And then essentially I was like, now I'm going to make a book next. I've made a movie. I've made a web show. I've made a documentary. I've made plays. I'm going to write a book. Yeah. And then especially for a writer, write, you know, yeah. if you're a writer by default, then that's kind of like, yeah, big goal, exactly. right? For- yeah. So the other stuff has been sort of like, almost like my testing grounds and also a way of inviting other people into the discourse around these ideas. But, you know, I don't see myself, like my core identity is as a writer and an artist. And the fact that I have been kind of on a spiritual path or on a sexual exploration path, my whole life is just a part of who I am. Mm. So that's like... I'm just inviting people into my personal discovery, exploration, and healing, which before I was only inviting them in via like a play I wrote or a web show. And now I've invited people in way more directly. Mm. How's that feel? It feels great. Like definitely is like a lot at times. I'm like, okay, is this phase of my life like complete? I don't want to be an expert or a guru. Like I want to be an artist always and a writer and I want to write poetry. I want to express. I want to. So the weird thing about sharing your path and your practices and the ways you've helped yourself and the ways you've, you know, overcome certain things is like you essentially put yourself into the role of teacher, healer, mentor, because it's like inherent that you are beginning to share, like, here's how I work through these things. So it's like, it's hard to not be put on um, kind of like a teacher student relationship or like on a pedestal in some way, which I I haven't liked. And I've tried the hat on and I've been like, okay, like, am I a coach? Am I a teacher? I've used those words to try them on and I just don't like them. They don't feel right for me. So, you know, I'd rather just be a writer and an artist. I really like that you've brought that up as well, because I feel very similar to that. And lots of times people will ask me like, well, are you a coach? Are you a therapist? Like, you know, what are you or what box do you, you know, they want to put you in a box or whatever. And I'm like, I'm a girl that had a breakdown that, you know, felt like my life was over. And then got opened up to this whole nother world that I was like whoa no one told me this existed what's this happiness what (laughs) and I got so excited about it that I just wanted to tell everyone about it and then you know you go down that road a little bit a couple of years and you start going wow and people are asking you you know more and more complicated and in-depth questions and sometimes you don't know the answer and you're just like I I don't know you know like I've done I have trained now I'm 
you know trained in various different therapy techniques and whatever but it's equally you're like I just want to help people I don't necessarily want to be like Mm -hmm. I don't know like you say I'm not looking to be famous or like I don't know a guru or like I'm not trying to profess that I know the correct way Mm -hmm. of like healing or doing something I'm just saying like my life is exceptionally better since I started doing these things and it might help you too you know and if it does exactly and it's kind of complicated then because people want to give that a title and you're like I don't know what I I don't know why I'm just I'm just me and I'm trying to help people and that's that's it exactly yeah Yeah. I think it's really beautiful that you because I think a lot of people as well when they see like you know us posting on Instagram or doing things like this that you kind of want to be famous or that you want to be like Instagram famous or you want to be whatever you're trying to do it for like some kind of I don't know ego trip or pat on the back or whatever and it's like I remember one of my friends at the beginning of of my journey kind of saying to me oh you know I'm gonna unfollow you I don't really like what you're doing it's not really who you are and I was like oh okay cool you know and I was like, why do you think that? And she's like, well, you know, you said you hate video. You said that you hate this, you, you know, and now you're doing all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, but that's how I got well. And she was like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, when I was in bed with depression and I couldn't move and I was so depressed and I didn't know how to get well, that's how I got well. I was on, you know, at the time in- Instagram wasn't really a thing, but YouTube and Facebook and whatever. And I was looking at people, that's how I found Louise Hay. And that's how I then found you know, Gabby Bernstein and people like you and Ruby and, you know, all these incredible women that were doing incredible things and had all these amazing practices that I could, similar, like you were saying, try the hat on, you know, some of them you try on and it doesn't fit and other ones you, you're like, that's my practice and that saved my, literally saved my life. And I was like, so I have to get over these fears of putting myself out there because that's how I got well by listening to other people that had done it and I want to provide that service to other people and she was like oh okay and it you know totally spun it for her because I think she thought I was I don't know what she thought I was trying to do whether I was trying to like just oh I want to be a guru whatever like I definitely don't (laughs) so yeah I think it's interesting and I love the fact that you've always come back to writing and so how was the process of writing your book then for you? Was that like, mm-hmm. I, can, oh, look, I can see your whole face lit up. It yeah. must be so exciting. It was beautiful and arduous. And I also just really love the writing process. I think that's like the most fun. You're working with your stories, your psyche, your ideas. It's like the land of ideas and stories and, you know, your hero's journey. And so it's like a, such a big self-contemplation and a place, a laboratory and a place to call forth your ideas and opinions. And I really, I enjoyed parts of it more than others, of course, but it wasn't under, it was a big undertaking, I will say. <laughs> and I forget because like, it's not out yet. And so I'm like, oh, the last few years, I put so much energy into it. Mm. It must be hard to keep the motivation, I always think, because I bet when you've got the idea and you're, you know, a bit like any, when you're an artist, right, any project, when you first start it, you're like, oh my God, and you have so much energy for it. And then to see that project through to the end, I think is often for any artist, no matter whether that's like a painting or a play or whatever it might be, to actually see something through (laughs) to the end. Yeah. And, you know, when I had film projects in the past, there'd been a team of like, 
more people, producers and da da da. So like, even though the project might take like a year or two years, there's people that you're all kind of keeping each other revved up. And so I do have an agent and an editor, but it, they are much more hands-off than like say in the film industry where it's like people are really aggressive. Like they're like, okay, what's our next step? What are we doing? What are we doing? So there's like this momentum that really keeps going where the publishing industry is just like a little bit, it's a little bit softer. Like it's not that right. And, and then maybe the stakes are a little different also because usually filmmaking there's big money involved so it's like the thing that's driving the momentum is like money 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 so yeah but you know I've actually enjoyed the sort of like lag time in between where it's like okay wrote a draft now my editor has it for three months okay now I can just like not think about it for the next three months and she's gonna read it and give me notes and then so those parts of the process were fun. And then Ruby, actually, I hired her to come do a month of editing with me, which was really wonderful. Ruby Warrington, a wonderful author and one of my best friends. So that was really helpful because I definitely have like sometimes I think like a, the part of me that's that's artistic can be sometimes kind of like feminine like a river and there's so many different ideas and directions that I'm going in and it's so creative and juicy but it's kind of like we need to like cut some of this stuff and like you know really root it down and so Ruby was able to go in and like be like hey this doesn't make sense (laughs) yeah and this part needs to go and so that that was really helpful I kind of had like a mayday moment where I was like "Uh uh-oh I need help. <laughs> yeah, I think I can totally resonate with that. Like I've definitely had some points here. My friend Layla, she's incredible where I just basically cover this whole wall in like post-it notes and stuff. <laughs> like I just basically go like <laughs> with all yeah. my ideas and like, yeah. and it's going to be this and then we can do this and, blah, 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 blah. and then she's like, okay, you know, and then, and then she sort of like starts moving things around and like goes, okay, that makes sense together and that makes sense together. And is that really part of what you're trying to do? Or like, do we need to do that this year? Like really right. alongside all these other, because I also think everything takes 10 minutes. So I'll be like, I'm going to launch a podcast and write a course and a book. And I don't know, to have so many clients every day and do three gong bars a week and like whatever. And, and people are like, that's, actually humanly impossible and I go that's ah, fine it'll be fine and you just need people sometimes don't you to have the reins a little bit and be like slow yeah. down yeah compartmentalize everything and like help yeah. you in that process mm-hmm. exactly yeah Ruby is really good like that with me oh that month must have been so nice just to kind of be able to get that clarity it was it was really good and then I just felt like okay from here I know like I know where I need to go and the book has better legs. And then I actually did like a few other edits. I, that was like last May that we did that big edit together. And then it was like, then we sent it back to my editor and then you go through the phase of copy editing. And it was interesting because I had gone and sat in Shipibo, which is an indigenous tribe from Peru and also, but mainly Peru, but uh, South America, I sat in, Chipibo ayahuasca ceremonies. And when I came back, I entered the copy editing phase and my mind was very clear. And during that, I was able to read my manuscript and see where there were places where 
I was either self-aggrandizing or where I sounded sort of like elementary or too like sort of colloquial or too much kind of spiritual jargon. Like I like went through with like a whole different eye that pass. It was really good. I think that was the best pass in terms of, I mean, and the thing is, is like at the end of the day that my first draft probably had the best magic in it, you know, because then you're like sifting through. And then by the time you get to the end, you've sort of over overthunk it so many times <laughs> that you're like, oh my God. So I think my last pass was like a balance between wild and free me and very intellectual me and researched me so that there's like this kind of internal dialogue in the book that's like, here's the fun, silly parts of my stories and da da da. And then here is actually the cold hard facts about the numbers around sexual assault, the way that we've treated indigenous peoples or people of color, why that relates to climate change, why that relates to the way the female body all across the world has been treated. And all of these things like really having enough roots to my own ideas in the book Mm. so that they could be taken seriously beyond some sort of like poppy self-help feminine spirituality space, which is really my goal is that it's not for that. It's not a niche thing that like my ideas can actually be for whomever. You don't have some sort of understanding or you don't need to have a glossary that's like, oh, this is what what spiritual means or wellness or a sound bath. Like I would rather have the languaging of my work nowadays be something that like is accessible to all yeah I I hear that as well I think it's interesting a lot of the stuff that I do and it's like I am innately very spiritual person and I've got quite a strong personal practice but a lot of my work is pretty black and white really because I feel like when I first started meditating and stuff like that I thought it wasn't for me I Mm -hmm. thought it was for Buddhists and like people Mm -hmm. that were religious or some kind you know they had some kind of spiritual practice and it was so helpful to me yeah and it was such an incredible tool and I was like wow there's some real barriers to this in terms of like people not thinking that they're part of it somehow because they don't I don't know wear robes or they're not sitting in a monastery or they're not going to church of whatever kind of church that might look like you know but it's it's interesting I think that you know a lot of the tools and things that we teach it you don't have to be spiritual to take those ideas on board or you don't have to yeah I mean I think that the term spiritual is kind of redundant because we all have a spirit right so like we all have a spirit so it's more of like are you needing are you a human being needing to practice the relationship to your spirit some people might not need to practice that at all Mm. They might be already showed up. They're in good relation to their spirits. So they don't really need to have a daily spiritual practice. However, if your culture has admonished you or conditioned out of you that you even have a spirit, then you might not have a relationship to whatever spirit is within you or or out like in general. And therefore you need to practice relating to your spirit but we all have in my opinion some sort of spirit right so i think even the idea of like i'm a spiritual or not spiritual practice like no i'm a person that is working on my my relationship to spirit Mm. 
or I'm not. Either I'm choosing not to because I think that's bullshit or like I don't need to because I showed up already with a deep relationship to my spirit. So like I don't need to sit and practice being in relation to my spirit. I love that. You know, okay. it's kind of a, it's a funny thing. I think that the word spiritual has gotten overused. I think now it really means pretty much nothing. But I think that we could find a deeper terminology where we're like, I'm a person that is working on blah, 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 right? And then we can like be more clear and more specific, right, about what we're working on. I'm working on understanding that all parts of me are a part of the divine plan of creation, right? So like that's what my practices are about, let's say. So like the work that I do with women is like that you're most fucked up, dark, weird, magical, mystical, witchy, sensual, that it's all part of this creation. It's all great spirit, God, source energy, whatever. There's no separation. Like that's the lie we've been told. But maybe somebody else is practicing something else. Like they're like, okay, I'm practicing being in relation to peace because I've been in relation to chaos my whole life. But that is so much more real than just saying like we're spiritual, like we're pra- like we're practicing being spiritual. I mean, I think practicing waking up from the lies and illusions that we've been sold is a bit more specific too, right? Yeah, and I think you know? that is very necessary. Yeah, right? and I so think a lot of the time when people come to me with you know anxiety and various things, one of the first things I say to them is stop reading the news, <laughs> you know. And if you must read it, read it like once a day and pick one news source and read that one news source once a day for like 20 minutes. Don't read all the news from all the different places. You're going to get very stressed and confused. Like, I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine who lives locally and there was a really unfortunate situation just at the top of our road where somebody got stabbed and killed. And there was, you know, an air ambulance and stuff. And she was like, oh my God. And and she reads all the local news all the time. And I don't really read it. And she was like, oh my God, there's been another stabbing. And like, it's this gang thing and it's this and and this area is getting so dangerous. And I was just kind of like, I feel really sad for that person. And I feel really sad for their families, you know, on both sides. Because I feel sad that that even happened. Mm Because that just means that there's a lot of pain on both sides. You know, there's, if you're, behaving in that way where you're going yeah. and you're stabbing someone you're in pain or you wouldn't behave like that and if you're the person getting stabbed you're in pain and if you die that's horrendous and the family is in pain you know and it's just it's just basically like a whole world of, of pain and people projecting things that's just really sad but I don't feel like my area is dangerous I don't feel like I'm under threat I don't feel like you know I just think that that's really unfortunate yeah it's really unfortunate what the stories you tell yourself and the way that you view with your surroundings obviously like we could always look at anything like black or white good bad or we could just go like hey like yeah yeah, you you choose you choose how you see things for sure yeah and I think it's really important like especially at the beginning of any of these journeys to just start to unpick like what belongs to me and what is not you know and what what's been kind of projected onto me and what am I projecting and what are the stories mm-hmm. and all that stuff so yeah. you can start to unpick and be like ah, oh, okay and you can come I don't know if I'm even there but you know as much as you can back to your truth whatever that 
is and then you can express from there and I think it's really interesting what you were saying as well about you know kind of practicing spirituality and this kind of thing and like how through the years of my kind of practices and different things I've gone through fluctuations where sometimes I might be meditating for you know like three hours a day or whatever and like really I'm in it you know and other times it's like shit I haven't meditated this week and then you're like almost feel guilty about it but you don't feel like you need it and there's this whole thing and I love Ramdas uh you know and he says don't get caught being a meditator it's a trap <laughs> not this like kind of stuff and you're like oh yeah and I think sometimes you get like almost stuck in your practices you know and, and you don't allow that to evolve because okay well I meditate for 20 minutes in the morning and then I meditate for 20 minutes a night and I do my journal and I do this and it's like you can get a little bit stuck I think in I think it's much nicer the way that you framed it in terms of I'm working on this specific outcome and then you know if you get that outcome then you don't you can change and you can evolve and you can maybe work on something different if you want or you maybe don't need maybe your practice is just to find joy again and have some fun and not dissect like every little thing that that happens you know yeah you get to choose for sure yeah Mm -hmm. so I guess what advice would you give to a younger Alexandra don't be so hard on yourself yeah don't worry about getting it right or doing right or wrong or just like enjoy it if you're going to choose to do something enjoy it don't judge yourself or shame yourself for it unless you just don't do it if you're going to judge or shame yourself going to do it just enjoy the fuck out of it because you're never gonna do that prop like be in that exact moment again yeah definitely I love that yeah I think that's really important like I had because I'm currently sober and I kind of had this whole thing I was talking to somebody and and they were like oh kind of I don't know almost like trying to justify to me why they went out and went on a bender or whatever and I was like I really don't care not in a bad way like I care like I want to hear your stories I love to live vicariously through people that have done really wild shit you know but like don't feel like you've got to play it down or like just I'm not judging you I don't care if other people drink or other people take drugs or do whatever like it's your body it's your life if you're enjoying yourself go and do it just similar thing you know like don't like if you're going to do that just fully express it like I've got a couple of really good friends of mine and they party a lot but they like love it and I love it because they'll just be like hungover or like you know on a bit of a come down or whatever but they they just telling you all the funny stories and how much fun they had and like just how you know and they're like and I know I should have grown out of it by now or I know that I should be like this or I should be like that but I just love it and I've been to therapy and I tried to talk it through because I thought maybe I had like a problem but I haven't got a problem I just really like enjoy that environment and I really oh, enjoy partying. and I was like <laughs> That's so refreshing though, right, to hear that yeah. from somebody yeah. as well and be like, oh, okay, cool. Like you can just fully express yourself in any way that you want, as long as you're not hurting other people or, you know, whatever. But yeah. like it's okay just to enjoy stuff, even if other people tell you like it's bad. Exactly. So on your kind of journey, I would, one question that I really wanted to ask you as well is what do you deem the difference between, say, sensuality and sexuality? And I know obviously they're interlinked, but I, yeah. that was one question when I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, I'd love to know your Yeah, no, that's a great that. question. That's a great question. So the word sexuality, I think, has a bit more of like a medical bent to it. You know, the study of female sexuality would be coming from 
a more sort of Western mind, scientific medical space, right? What is sexuality? Like sexuality is the way we're in relation to our, to our sex, our anatomy. So sensuality is, is like how we experience life through our senses. So our senses don't always include our sex, right? Because sex is a very physically rooted thing. Senses are more ephemeral, you know, you can't necessarily quite pin down a feeling, right? So this is very feeling based, the senses, it's like, the way, you know, a velvet feels on your leg is something like you would be hard for like a scientist to like, put in like a really rationalized analytical box, right? But our sexuality, the way that our organs function, the way that intercourse functions, the way that hormones function, kind of all fit into that realm of sexuality. Obviously, they do interlink where our senses can be such a beautiful portal to a sexual experience that's happening in the physical realm between anatomy, right? Sex, anatomy, genitals, meeting. But sensuality doesn't have to do always with genitals. It doesn't have to do with anatomy. It doesn't have to do with intercourse or procreation or any type of orgasmic experience. So the senses can exist on their own separate from a sexual experience. However, you know, for thousands of years, there's been such like a very direct link between the senses and sex. So it's like, if you think about it, sensuality as a gateway, right into sex is partially why. And I think in some of the more heavily like puritanical type of cultures or, or peoples or religions that senses had to be sort of limited because they will lead to sex, right? Right, of course, yeah. So it's like if, like, you know, for instance, like Latin America is very diverse, but let's say in my own like Latin American experience in Brazil, like food and like sound and color and like, you know, my father, every time he eats chocolate is like, Mm, oh this is so good you know and like <laughs> I love it he puts on music and like my parents are both Tauruses so they're very sensual like my mom would have candles and music and wine and like the relationship to dancing in the body so somewhere like along the line somebody was like oh I understand that that leads to sex Do we better <laughs> We better inhibit their senses, their relationship to their senses, right? So if you look back at like pictures of, you know, sort of like probably Western European specifically, like the UK, the people, a lot of people that came here, it's like you could put a picture of those peoples alongside, say, like a picture of, say, some people in Mexico or something. They're going to have a whole different relationship to their senses. You could even probably take a plate of food from let's say early 1900s Mexico, early 1900s Britain. And you could just see the people personified, or I guess it's backwards, yeah, in the food, right? I know what you mean, yeah. Meat, potatoes over here, like bland, right? It doesn't really appeal to the senses too much, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then over here you have like tomato and cilantro and avocado and like all this stuff. Mm. So. Chili. 
I think that somewhere, and, and then I do think that this does relate, Ruby and I talk about this a lot. I think it also relates to climate. I think it relates to the resources of a country, but I do think it relates mostly to the sense of power and control because you can control people more by inhibiting their senses. And so if you have a bunch of people that are like, like loving food and loving life and the sound of music and the colors of the trees and the smell of flowers and like the taste of just delicious fruits. Like it's harder to control those people because they're mm. happy. They're like, mm. they're way happier. Like they don't need that much, right? Like a mango, some good tunes, like, so, but I think in the colder places, in the more densely inhabited places, in cultures that had like a stronger political rule, the senses were, you know, dampened. Yeah, dampened is a great word. And I'm not a historian, you know, I don't have a degree in anthropology or something like that. I'm just, this is my own opinion and sort of like um, musings on these subjects. So that kind of makes sense to me, though. You know, yeah. it does seem quite clear. I mean, I think so too, if you took a picture and like, you know, did some of these comparisons. Anyway, so I think for those of us who have grown up without a relationship to the senses through like enjoying pleasure of smell, pleasure of sound, pleasure of taste, pleasure, you know, that that reawakening of that and just that in itself being like, it's totally okay for you to make a sound when you love the taste of something, right? Like even that. So before we even get to anything sexual, but like, how could you just dance in front of other people sober? Like, could you just enjoy your body? Could you just like love the sound of that music and like let it move through you just so deliciously? And that has that doesn't have to do, have anything to do with with like sex or sexuality, no. you know. But I it's love a great, that description. Yeah, but it's a great if you think about, let's say, a woman who is like completely cut off from those senses, like doesn't know how to make sound, doesn't know how to enjoy her body, doesn't enjoy like smell, like all these things. If you think about her, and the, or you think about a woman who's like oh my God, I love the smell of roses. And like, oh, I love to dance. Like who is more fuckable, you know, like typically speaking, like, so the woman is going to get attacked, the one who's sensual because she must be a slut and a whore wanting sex, right? She's actually just a person enjoying reality because there's trees and there's roses and there's music and there's singing and there's dancing. So, you know, it's a really interesting kind of study. I love studying like Penelope Cruz is one of my favorite women to watch. Like I love watching women who are just, they're just born. I don't know if she's born that way, but like they're born in their senses. Like, and then watching them is like watching like flower in motion. It's so beautiful. And I mean, I wasn't always like that. There are times where I like completely went gray because I was told that I was like total slut and a whore because I like to dance and like, you know, have fun. (laughs) I mean, I am. There's so many times that we're limited, isn't there? And I, I like, yeah. you know, I think I've definitely got loads of work to unpack around sex and stuff like Everybody that. Everybody in the UK does. I'm a complete. I'm probably very repressed. I imagine. Well, it's a cultural. It's a, like it's a, it's a collective field that's around that area. So it's like morphic it's resonance. 
Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think that like, you know, maybe it's just starts with like spending a week and in Mexico or, you know, somewhere that has a different resonance and just feeling like it's not about you changing you, but like, what is it like to just exist in a different resonance for a week where and I think just in enjoying like it's really funny you know enjoying certain things that you think are silly or that you shouldn't enjoy you know like I love I make really extravagant baths and I love mm. it and I put in like <laughs> flowers and friggin crystals and essential oils and epsom salts and like sea salts and all these different things and then I like have this bath and I'm like oh and I love it and like food I've always enjoyed food anyway but I I'm similar to that like I can sit and just be like oh my god it's like an orgasm yeah. in my mouth you know uh, just from eating yeah. something like especially I've got a good friend of mine that lives in Italy and I remember once we went to the kind of outskirts of Milan and it was a friend of hers birthday and they just had the most incredible feast that I've probably ever experienced it well I think I don't even know how many courses there were because I'm so British I thought it was you know like you eat the first bit and then it was like oh and now it's risotto and now it's pasta and now there's a chicken and now there's this yeah. and, now there's that. and I was like what the hell and it was so yeah. much food and it was so much wine and it was the most incredible feast it was so delicious and just really being able to experience that without thinking oh my god I'm gonna get so fat you know, which is what I would have done some years before. And like, just being able to kind of free yourself from these limitations that are put on you around, you know, well, that's shameful if you're going to eat chocolate, or you're going to eat something that's fattening, because you need to be thin. Or, you know, if you want to have sex, it's shameful to make noise or to enjoy it, like you should, you know, or if you've got a fantasy that you maybe want to explore that could be on the edges of what most people deem kind of normal in the bedroom or whatever it's like actually you know if we're all spiritual beings having a human experience then surely like let's experience being human like we have these senses let's bloody use them you know like what do you like to look at what do you like to taste what do you like to listen to what do you like to feel like what fab you know I can get lost in a fabric shop man hours and hours I used to make hats and I would oh my god I'd been you know like round Soho and stuff just going through fabric shops and touching all the different silks and different Mm -hmm. things and you're thinking oh my god and buttons and god haberdasheries or you know it's just these kind of things that you're like wow or like record old record shops I could get lost in there for just the smell it sounds awful doesn't it because it's actually quite disgusting but that weird dusty smell of vinyl I love it and flicking through and Occasionally you'll find gold, you know, I pulled it out the other day and listened to it for a while. Bill Withers, obviously, when he died and I got one of his records in an old junk store for like about, I don't know, £1.50 or something like that. And it's this beautiful copy, like it was pristine and it opens out like this. So the, the front bit is like two like that and it falls out and then the record comes out the side. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you just think, God, it, it probably took me like four hours in this junk shop to find that one pound fifty record. But when I got home, I was like, yes, and I still listen to it and love it. And it's like, you know, that I hadn't ever really thought about it. But like that is essential experience, right? Yeah, it's like those kind of things where you can get that, yeah, that connection to sensuality without sex. Mm -hmm. I never thought that description. So I guess, what things do you wish you'd known about being sensual, being mystical, like being fully expressed as Alexandra Roxo? Like, what do you wish you'd known about that before? When I was younger? Yeah. 
I mean, the same thing, just like that there's nothing to be ashamed of, you know, like, yeah, that there's nothing to be ashamed of as much as people might say you're fat, you're ugly, you're weird, and you're a slut, you're a whore, that they're, that that's actually not true. And, you know, I guess there's no way to protect yourself from those things. And they've made me who I am. Otherwise, I wouldn't be passionate about teaching people or embodying the opposite. So I don't regret those moments happening, or I don't regrets the wrong word. I don't wish that they hadn't happened in that way. You know, yeah, I don't really believe in regrets, I guess. But I, yeah, I wish I had spent less time being ashamed or feeling shame and guilt. Waste of time. Yeah, it is a waste yeah. of time. Yeah. So is there anything else you wish I'd asked you that I hadn't, haven't asked oh, you or anything you want to share? I don't think so. I mean, I think that like, I would love for you guys to buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It comes out July 21st and it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Sounds True. It's through the publisher Sounds True. And I'll probably do a bunch of like little book bonus stuff when it gets closer. I have some great online guided practices in order to like help you embody and feel all your feelings and find your rage and your grief and your wild woman and all of it. And I do online writing kind of workshops and I write on Instagram a lot. So I'm like just always a work in progress. Like I'm not static. I'm always a static line. I'm ecstatic. Yeah. (laughs) But so, so I'm always sharing kind of like what I am experiencing and playing with and making art with in my life, what feelings, what experiences. And I think that like right now it's just, there's so much information and you know ideas about how we should or shouldn't be and like what's the way that we feel better and that it's like I've gotten at times caught up in that trying to like fix instead of just allow kind of just allow myself to be where I am not try to change a bad feeling get rid of it but allow it to show me something and so yeah, I think my work is about sitting and feeling and expressing and sharing and storytelling without trying to like get rid of like that the route of healing comes from feeling and being honest and expressing and that, that eventually like we just the things start to integrate, you know, we don't need to buy five courses, we don't need to see five shaman. Like, I can tell you, I've spent all the money seeing 25 shaman, healer, astrologer, and I'm still me. Yeah. <laughs> still exactly me. I seriously, you guys, yeah. I've sat in a lot of ceremonies. Guess what? I'm still me. Still have the same tendencies, still have the same behaviors. So <laughs> it's not like you can't change you can and like things ebb and flow but like it's about integrating and learning and dancing and playing with these parts of yourself and like not not putting them over to the side and going like that's bad but going like this is a part of me and it doesn't it's not wrong you know this is all this land of good and bad it's like this this dualistic kind of thing that we're stuck in yeah it's bullshit Human I, I talk a lot about with especially like when I'm teaching people about emotions and, and stuff you know and it's like we're often taught from a young age like these emotions are good and these emotions are bad and th- when you have these emotions you're lovable and likable and you know 
you can be mm-hmm. sexual you can do this or you can do that and when you have these emotions you know you're bad and you need to be on your own and you better yeah. not show anyone how you feel because they're really dark and like and it's actually most of the time the emotions that we try and hide from people all it boils down to nine times out of ten is i am scared of something you know like i'm scared because somebody died that i love and now that's making me think that I might die or other people that I love might die. So I'm scared or I'm anxious because I'm scared something bad's going to happen, but I don't know what the bad thing is yet. Or I'm angry because someone pushed my boundary too far and I'm scared because they're too close and I don't like it. So nine times out of 10, it's like scared mm-hmm. is the underlying. Yeah. And if you saw somebody that was scared, like a little child that was scared, you wouldn't say stupid little kid, you know, what are you scared for you'd be like yeah okay come here have a hug you know and that's kind of how we need to treat ourselves a little bit more it's like actually when we're upset or in grief or angry or resentful or like bitter or you know whatever it might be envious jealous like all the kind of side of the feelings wheel that most people want to pretend isn't there right like you know we're gonna have all these feelings and that's great actually because they're just yeah. language of the body they're just telling us like what we love and what we don't love so much what yeah. feels nice and what doesn't feel nice so much but when we're in that other side of the wheel that we're told that we're bad and all that kind of stuff like nine times out of ten what we just need to do is sit and be like which part of me is scared which part of me needs a little bit more love today mm. and then we can just like love that part a little bit more and get on with our day and not yeah <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And not like get stuck in this thing of like, <laughs> if people yeah. can see this horrible bit of me, then they're going to like think I'm disgusting or whatever. And it's like, I mean, I'm still working through all that stuff too, but it's, it's once you have that realization, I think it's so powerful to be able to, you know, like you say, just sit with it, integrate it, like accept it and just go, oh, okay, well, today I feel really shit. Mm-hmm. Hmm, okay. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have to mean anything. It's just like, oh, okay, tomorrow I'll probably feel better. Or I might even feel better in an hour. But right now I feel shit. Okay, that's cool. I can feel shit for an hour. You know, it's like, you don't have to, I don't know, create all these stories about what it is. Yeah. So Fab, how do they find you? So you've mentioned your Instagram. Obviously, everyone hopefully is going to buy your book. Can they get on pre-order? Yes. Okay. Very so yeah, get your very- pre-orders. Yeah, (laughs) I think you're going to get a free month of my online community if you do pre-order. Radical. So that'll be cool. But my website is alexandraroxo.com, my name, and my same as my Instagram. If you want to check, check out like the work that I've done before, like where I have my web series called Be Here Now-ish. And I worked at a truck stop strip club in New Mexico, got to know the girls for Vice Media. I've been on a few TV shows, I guess like three. So all that stuff's on my website too. Amazing. So that's how to find us. Thank you so much for joining and sharing your wisdom. This has been really beautiful. And I will be back next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. If you enjoyed listening, why not leave us a review? It really does help other people to find this podcast and enjoy it too. Feel free to share it with friends and family members that you think it might be useful to. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.